0: and welcome to episode 17 of The Wizard Files, the special podcast interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine. This time around, we have a very special guest. You've heard his name mentioned several times in past interviews. He had quite a journey with Wizard that included becoming an associate editor of the magazine and these days co-president of Archie Comics. Please welcome to the show, Alex Segura. How you doing, Alex? Alex? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, that was that was a great
1: intro. I feel I feel pressure now.
0: (laughs) Well, let's take it off a little bit, but then put it right back on because before we get (laughs) started, we figured you've got the inside track here, and we just have to know. Now, in recent years, we've seen Archie meets the cast of Glee, Archie meets the B52s, even my personal favorite band, Archie meets Kiss. But when are we going to see the sequel to the seminal 90s crossover, Archie meets the Punisher? Alex, come on, you're working on this.
1: Yeah, it would, it would be a dream come true. I think there is a sequel teased at the end of Archie Punisher. I think they teased Jughead, Jughead Wolverine. So, you know, it's only a matter of time. It's already been a long time, but maybe,
0: uh, maybe soon. Now, if Marvel is holding too tightly to that Wolverine, you know, copyright there, <laughs> I do have an idea for you here. I've got a pitch. I'm just going to throw it at you. We got Jughead and Jigsaw get mashed up through some interdimensional shenanigans, causing Archie and Frank Castle to team up against the meat munching menace of jugsaw ah
1: that is an idea
0: I I will get my proposal to you Friday. All right. (laughs) Now, speaking of Archie, though, a a lot of people read the Archie Double Digest and comics as kids. For many, it was their introduction to the world of comic books. But, Alex, how did you find comic books entering your life? And what were some of your favorite titles as a kid?
1: Yeah, no, you nailed it. And I I don't mean to be like a company shill here, but my first comic experience was Archie. And that really taught me the mechanics of, I guess, graphic storytelling. Panels, and it was really a, an education in just expanding my reading and, and uh, loving the medium. And then one of my earliest superhero comics was a digest, actually, it was a Marvel digest uh, that I, well, my grandparents got me at my local grocery store. It was a reprint of Spectacular Spider-Man magazine, which if you're a Spider-Man fan, you remember Marvel did those two black and white magazine issues in the 70s. And it was a Stanley, John Romita, Green Goblin story. And I remember being terrified of how John Romita drew Norman Osborn kind of before he would flip and become the Green Goblin, and so as a preteen, the, the books that I gravitated to were the Marvel and DC superhero stuff, like Amazing Spider-Man by by Eric Larson and Mark Bagley, Chris Claremont's X-Men. You know, I I was doing that simultaneous classic X-Men and current release reading, so hoping that the two threads would eventually crash together. But um, that was at a time when Marvel was doing reprint titles that that kind of gave you the backstory. This was before really the book trade became where you went to kind of catch up on things. And I was a pretty avid Batman reader. I loved a lot of the Justice League International stuff that Giffen and DeMatis were doing and DeMatis was also writing Spectacular Spider Man at the time that I was I was really getting into the character. So that that was a seminal title for me. And uh, you know, Daredevil by Anna Senti and D G Chichester and Lee Weeks was one of my favorites. And you know, that's just what got it started. After that, I was I was locked in till now. It became a, a passion, you know, like, and, and, you know, I have to mention this because I saw somebody posting on Instagram about it earlier uh, today, but the Marvel trading cards were a huge doorway for me. They were a huge crash course. You know, back then, you're a kid. You only have so much, you know, disposable income. I would get maybe like $5, $20 on a good week to go to the comic shop and spend it. So getting those trading cards and the DC Cosmic Teams cards, that was how I learned a lot about characters that I was just not finding at the shop or I just didn't you know, fall into that bucket of your weekly spend. That's what got me into stuff like the X-Men and X-Factor. I was completely confused as to why the original X-Men were not the X-Men anymore. That kind of dates me pretty specifically because now they're all, every, everybody's an X-Man now. But um, yeah, that that was my introduction to comics, basically.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Sounds like you're pretty well rounded there. So then the question becomes, what impact then did Wizard magazine have, if any?
1: Yeah, no, Wizard was a huge, huge influence on me because I think I got into Wizard my first issue of Wizard I bought in middle school. I think it was sixth grade, and it was the Rob Liefeld cable shaft cover, which I I think yeah, I think they can't really reprint that because I don't remember what the I don't remember I don't know what the legalities of it are, but um I don't think everyone was looped in on putting a putting a young blood character with a Marvel character. But I remember being blown away by this idea that the creators, these artists that I followed, I I was, I was like a Jim Lee fanatic. And so I I think I told Jim that when I worked at DC, you know, as an aside, like I was just a huge fan of his X-Men stuff. And I loved Rob's X-Force and Eric Larson on Spider-Man. So those were like the big iconic artists for me. And they were so definitive, their takes. And so this idea that these, seven star artists were going to move over and create their own company was huge. And wizard was really there to chronicle that moment. And um, I think one of my fondest memories, and I've mentioned this to Rob is that he did these freewheeling interviews with wizard with, and it just felt like image was this huge idea space. Like, all bets were off. This was going to be like this seismic shift in the industry, and it did prove to be that, but Wizard was the place where they went to
0: talk about it. I
1: remember Every issue of Wizard of that era had, you know, a lengthy like five to ten page interview with one of the image founders, and just there was so much going on, and you at the same time you had Valiant kind of blowing up, you had the Ultraverse happening, so you had Marvel DC, and, and at Marvel and DC there was big stuff going on too. You had Death of Superman, you had um, Nightfall, you know, uh, eventually you had Heroes born later on in the 90s but you know wizard was before the internet before comic book news kind of took over the internet was the place you went to to get your news and to get to see what was coming up and and i devoured it like if there was one thing that i bought like i always budgeted for wizard i always budgeted because that was how i would up-to-date and yeah it was it was a seminal influence and and i just love the tone it was humorous and self-deprecating and they weren't scared to tell you this is good this is not as good and, and poking fun at the industry but also providing a platform for these talents to you know hold court you know just when youngblood was starting to come out or when wildcats were starting to come out like these great new ideas and these new titles you'd get to hear from the creators and they'd talk you through their process you'd get to tour the offices you'd get to see behind the curtain in a way that you know i realized that the comic press was not born with Wizard, but for me as a you know 12 or 13 year old that was my first inkling of it, of a of a story behind the comics I held, like putting faces to names, like meeting, you know, like when when Dark Horse launched their Legend imprint, which I think a lot of people don't think about now, but which launched stuff like Hellboy, uh, Monkey Man, and O'Brien. Next Men was kind of dovetailed into that and Sin City, it was very much an image like response from Dark Horse and it was very cool to see it spotlighted in Wizard because you got to meet the creators, you got to put faces to names. So yeah, I was a huge Wizard fan before I even thought about being a Wizard employee.
0: So that's interesting. Yeah, we actually we just covered that legend issue just recently, so that was a big discussion oh, on our I part. Yeah,
1: I think I saw, I saw you posting maybe and that's why it was fresh in my mind, but yeah, it's uh, one of those almost images that wasn't, you know?
0: For sure so what were kind of your ambitions as as a youngster as you're reading comics and then what were the events that led you to actually applying for a job at wizard
1: yeah i mean i was was obviously a diehard comic person a wizard fan so that was my just hobby reading comics and you know i've always wanted to tell stories and so I'd, i'd jot down ideas for my own comics or my own takes on existing characters and i think after college I did a lot of journalism in college, working for the college, you know, the, the paper and the yearbook and the radio station and things like that. So I kind of morphed my storytelling with this, I guess, career of journalism. I was uh, I did some news reporting, I did some sports reporting, copy editing for local papers and stuff like that. And at one point it just kind of clicked with me to try and blend my love of journalism with my love of comics. So, one of the sites I read and this was at the, you know, the comic book news online was was growing. Wizard was this print behemoth. Like everyone brokered their exclusives with Wizard. So, if you wanted like the cool exclusive news, you would read Wizard, but the kind of the grind comic Coverage was happening online, places like Newsarama, Comic Book Resources, Silver Bullet Comics. I think Bleeding Cool was just starting out. And so I reached out to Newsarama. I just sent them a blind email and I said, hey, I've got a journalism background. I'm a huge comic fan. I would love to freelance for you guys. I didn't even think of it as a monetary thing you know silly me I just wanted to talk to like creators so I connected with Mike Duran and Matt Brady who founded the site and Mike Duran still runs the site he's still at NewsRama but Matt Brady has since moved on to do other things and they basically started trying me out so I interviewed people like I interviewed Peter David about Young Justice I interviewed Ed Brubaker about Point Blank which was the predecessor to Sleeper and Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray about this wild storm book called The Resistance I think Juan Santa Cruz was the artist but you know I was just starting out and so that was all the interviews were kind of done over email and I was really getting my sea legs but after a while I became you know the number three aside from the two founders I was the number three guy at Newsarama it was just part of my routine I was working at the Herald's International Edition which is basically the edition of the newspaper that other countries get as outside of the U.S. Uh, Latin America and beyond and so that was kind of a designer editor role and at the same time I was freelancing for Newsorama, you know for a pittance I was still living at home but it was so cool because i got to deal with all these amazing creators and really network and and build the connections with the industry that i loved as a fan and around that time i saw that wizard was looking for an associate editor so you know i was still a fan of the magazine and i still read the magazine though now it was in a kind of pseudo professional capacity and and I, one of the things we used to do at newsarama is i would get my subscriber copy of wizard and the subscriber copies you'd get them a couple days early and so what happened then is as a reporter for newsarama i would go over it with with the newsarama guys and say they're breaking this they're breaking that they're breaking this and then we would we would basically re-report the stories
0: oh wow you were part of the problem alex what were you doing
1: yeah i was part of the problem <laughs> (laughs) I mean, also, what do you expect? I mean, you're sending these copies out early. So and I think at that point, Wizard had a website, but it was very event focused and very much B2B like business to business as opposed to consumer facing. So it was less about like, hey, we're breaking the story in the magazine. Let's figure out a website component to that. It was much more the magazine was its own thing and the website was much more tied into the convention business and things like that. And yeah, and then that created some friction between Newsarama and and wizard. And I think between CBR and wizard. So that, that was the beginning of the push pull between like online and, and print and print being wizard. So I emailed wizard and I sent them my resume and I said, I'd I'd love to be considered for this job. Here are my credits. And I I got in, I had a phone interview with Joe Yannarella, who was, who's been a huge mentor to me. It was a huge, huge Uh, influence on my work when I was at Wizard for the brief time I was at Wizard, but we chatted. And Joe's an old school journalist, too. And, and I think he appreciated that journalistic sensibility that, you know, I, under, I knew how to write on deadline. I knew kind of the basics of, you know, the the reverse triangle, which is to say you put all the important information at the top and you kind of trickle down. And when you reach the end, that's the end of your stories. And I think he appreciated that there was a, a wall. You know, I could be a fan, but I could also be a reporter and an editor and not necessarily get consumed by that fandom. So we got to talking and, and it went well enough over the phone that Joe's said, you know, we'd like to get you up here to Congress for an in-person interview. And I'm living in Miami. I've never, you know, I've been to New York, like to visit family, but I'd never... <laughs> left Miami to be interviewed for a job so I felt like wow this is the big time much less to be flown up and put up in a hotel and like you know like in retrospect I was not wined and dined by any means <laughs> but you know it was it was cool for like a 20 something year old kid to go up to quote unquote New York it was very different from the New York that I expected it was not right. the big city. You're, you're in Rockland County Congress is is a, a small town as you're going to get in Rockland and it's the wizard offices were inside. It was very cool. But, you know, if you look, looked at the exterior it was a very nondescript office building. And it was, it was interesting. You know, I was, I'd never, I was very nervous. I, you know, I'd never flown into another state for a job interview um, much less, you know, and it was a dream, you know, it, the idea of working at wizard was so surreal because I'd been reading the magazine on and off since it launched basically not, not the, I didn't have the early issues. Like I said, the shaft,
0: cable issue. Yeah, number 10. So that is pretty early, though. Yeah,
1: yeah, pretty early in the process. So a lot of the people were still there. I mean, like Pat McCallum and Matt Senreich and Brian Cunningham. And, uh, you know, obviously, Garab was the founder. And yeah, so I did. I did. I ran the gauntlet. They took me out to lunch. I guess I didn't embarrass myself. You know, I didn't really understand things like, you know, what would be a good salary or, you know, it's an entry level gig and I got the job. And so I had to hurry up and, and load up. And uh, I, I think I shipped my stuff to, I, I rented, um, I didn't, it wasn't even an apartment. It was like an attic apartment in a house in Chestnut Ridge, New York, which is just a fancy way of saying you're right next to Spring Valley. And I got the gig and I I, I shipped my car, my like creaky Toyota Celica and, and shipped my clothes. The place was furnished. So that's how it started. And I I moved up to New York and there I was.
0: So, you know, you mentioned, you know, certainly nondescript from the outside. TJ Deach actually just shared a photo that he took back in the day, just, yeah, showing this generic off-complex building there. But for you, like when you got into the Wizard offices, you know, whether it was like the atmosphere of the people or the actual physical space, what impressed you most?
1: You know, when you walk in, you're in Wizard. It's recognizable. You could see it from, you know, there were so many like strips and gags in the map magazine that you start to recognize not only people but places like the warehouse and the lobby and the office the bullpen so that's when I felt like okay I'm here and when I started there it was very welcoming they were welcoming and and beyond the initial people that you recognize from the magazine like Mike Cotton and Andy Serwin and obviously Brian Cunningham you know and, and Joe would pop into the, the strip sometimes but he was kind of like the leader of the editorial pack in terms mm-hmm. of you know keeping everyone in line and making sure the deadlines were met and there was some kind of level of quality and yeah that's kind of when i felt i was there and it was it was really surreal because at that point wizard had obviously the front end magazine which was all the features and the content and then there was a a section of the magazine called the mega section which was a catch-all type phrase like it was like there was an anime page spread there was a toy spread there was a movie spread and then the price guide and so those were the things that as an associate editor i absorbed and kind of I wouldn't say took over because I had, it wasn't like I had oversight and could run those areas, but I was the person in charge of coordinating the content and making sure that that happened. And so, um, that's where I met Ryan Panagos. He handled a lot of the price guide stuff. Zach Oat was my like liaison person. He was at toy fair. And so I dealt with him for the toy stuff. We would, and and all that meant was that we would sit for 15, 20 minutes and he would tell me like what cool toys were coming up and, and then I would get a freelancer to write about it. And, And that was really like a good crash course in, in, you know networking and talking to different departments at a company to create content and the idea there was there was Wizard obviously the flagship magazine but there was also Inquest which was like the gaming uh collectible card magazine Toy Fair obviously toys and merchandise and Anime Insider which was geared towards anime and manga fans and so i think the mega section was the idea behind that was this would be a portal into these other subsets of comic book fandom and at the same time i would also edit you know the occasional feature or you know secondary publication like there was a Spider-Man special that I got to edit that was that was amazing uh, you know David Finch did the cover Chris Ward who is now one of my best friends did a lot of the writing and he was an intern he was part of that intern class you know TJ was part of I think our best intern class ever at least in my time there it was TJ and Ricky Purden who's now gone to so do a lot of amazing things at Marvel and I'm sure I'm blanking on people yeah, but Brian um,
0: Wormuth and a bunch of those guys yeah,
1: Brian yeah. yeah Brian's a buddy of mine still and Zach Harris who's gone on to do other things outside of comics. But, you know, you look, at the, you look at the people that walk through Wizard and it's a who's who of people that are still in comics. You know, Mike Cotton's at DC. Brian Cunningham just ended a long tenure at DC. It's, it's just amazing that they all walk through those doors and then continue to do great things in comics.
0: Now, I have a question for you. I, I don't know how much clout you had as the associate editor in terms of helping these interns and research assistants move up the ladder. Because that's that's something we've talked to a lot of people that started out that way and moved their way up, but you came in as an editor. So I guess the question I have is, do you talk to someone like Pat or whoever and say, hey, this guy's doing good work over here. I really like what he's writing. Or how did those decisions get made for somebody to even move up to the staff writer position that so many people coveted?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say I had any clout per se. I think, you know, there was a, a brain trust that was above me, you know, like Pat and Matt and Joe and Brian Cunningham. And, you know, Mike Cotton had a lot of say in, in just the content, just because he was he was our chief staff writer. But I definitely got the chance to say, hey, this person's doing great work. And, and I think at that point it was mainly because I did I did over. I wouldn't say I was the intern coordinator. I think at some point I was like maybe the editorial wrangler of that class of interns. That was really difficult. because I was editing the mega section, which was a great spot for people to write smaller things. So it it was great for me because as an editor, I could just farm out these assignments, you know, to TJ and Danny and Ricky and Heidi Ward and these people that were eager to get that writing experience. And I could provide them with some kind of editorial feedback and guidance as limited as I had at that point. So it was great for me because it was like a way to farm out these assignments and also work with them and then kind of see who was really able to step up and do more. You know, people like Chris Ward, who started out as an intern and then went through research and then became staff writers. Like, those are really the success stories. And then he became kind of the the magic words guy. And TJ was there for a long time. And Ricky, of course, it became his first gig, you know, starting as an intern and then becoming a writer and then part of the editorial team. So I wouldn't say I had any oversight, but I did have some kind of ability to help give assignments to those interns and then see, you know, who would sink or swim and and what would really happen.
0: Right now, was there any type of feature that you preferred working on or some type of feature or idea that you were dreaming up and always pushing in a pitch meeting? I mean, did you have any sort of like agenda on your side? You're like, look, guys, I'm just telling you, this would be awesome. Oh, you yeah. Know?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, one of my best friends in life is Jesse Thompson, who doesn't really work in comics anymore, but uh, we shared bullpen space. The bullpen was basically the core editors of the magazine. And so it was Brian Cunningham, who was the editor, Jesse Thompson, Andy Serwin, and myself for the time I was there. And Alejandro Arbona stepped in and took over my spot when I left. You know, I I like to say, oh, I was a journalist and I, you know, church and state, and I didn't try to influence with my fandom. But, you know, we all had our passion projects. We had books that we loved. And, you know, like I know Andy was a big crime fan. And and it's ironic because I ended up writing crime novels and, and we've, we've kind of bonded over that now, you know, just crime fiction and things like that. You know, Jesse would would handle Wizard Edge, which was like kind of like the wizard indie magazine.
0: Yeah, we, we were just talking to Todd Casey about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Todd's a good friend too. And so Jesse and Todd would, would handle Wizard Edge. And I, I think the book I championed the most, we would have these emails where we would go back and discuss, you know, what's our book of the month? What's the, the book we spotlight? And I would always say, you know, let's week, got to do, guys, we got to do Wildcats 3.0, 3. because it was a, it was a Joe Casey, Sean Phillips run, which, you know, like I said, I was a huge Jim Lee fan and a huge Wildstorm fan. And so I was, I love that book. And um, I still continued to be a Claremont apologist, even at that point where Chris Claremont had kind of faded away from the X-Men books and was now starting to come back and doing things like Excalibur and, and things like that. So I was always a champion of Claremont and uh, and things like that. But I was the low man on the editorial totem pole, as much as, you know, the Interns were coming in, but it was very much driven by the senior editorial stuff. So I was I was really new to the process, and it, I, I think with any job, any publishing job or any professional job, it's going to take you six months to a year to kind of get your sea legs. And I think that applies to Wizard, and it also definitely applied to me. A Miami kid, I'd never really seen snow or driven in snow or like lived a New York winter at that point. So I was I was it was a huge like seismic life change for me, and I was so happy, thankful that I made a lot of friendships at Wizard, like people that I still talk to and text with to this day, like Ricky and Ryan and Jesse and Chris Ward, TJ, and we all communicate pretty regularly. So I think that's the big takeaway that I made these lasting relationships and friendships from this relatively brief, like two, two and a half year span.
0: Wow. Yeah. So now let me ask you this, you know, you mentioned Peter David. First of all, is there anyone in the industry more accessible than Peter David? If you gathered <laughs> up the amount of interviews that that man has done or been in, every publication you know (laughs) like it's amazing
1: yeah no he's done pretty much everything it it is amazing like he is i think accessible is probably the best way to describe it
0: yeah but who were some of your favorite comics pros to interact with i assume over these years now you're in the industry you know in the publishing side so who have become some of like your your friends that you interact with
1: yeah that's a great question i mean i feel like i try as an editor and as a marketing person i try to you know let let the talent speak and let them do their job and And kind of create a platform for them you know there's people that I've just I've had the pleasure of knowing whether it was at Wizard Brad Meltzer is probably a good example because one of the earliest memories I have at Wizard was coming into a meeting well I'll get to Brad in a second but coming into a meeting and Grant Morrison I think was writing the X-Men or had just had just launched new X-Men excuse me his take on on the X-Men and and I loved it as a fan I remember reading it as a fan and and writing about it at Newsarama and and I'm sitting in on this meeting and it was a really eye-opening moment for me because someone said offhand And yeah, Zorn's Magneto. And I was like, what, what? (laughs) Wow. Like it just blew my mind that wizard was so tapped into what was going on, not only tapped into it, but informed and they knew like what the big beats were because part of obviously at a magazine, you're a whole, it's a whole different publishing schedule from a website. You know, like, you know, you put some on a website, you just put it up in a second and it it exists. But uh, at wizard, you were working on this three to four to six month schedule where you had to know what was going on in advance. So wizard, we'd have to reach out to Marvel and DC and Valiant and image and Kind of say, hey, we're working on our whatever November issue, so you've got to let us know what the big beats are. And I was like, oh my God, what a spoiler. Like, oh, I had no idea. And I think it was Andy that turned to me and said, Welcome to Wizard. <laughs> well, welcome to the machine where we like now know what's going on because they had to. They had to know what was going on and they had to plan, you know, not just the content, but the covers and what the big stuff was going to be. Like, do we do a Michael Turner, like Superman, Batman cover? Do we focus on identity crisis? And right. Right around that same time, I think, I you know I could be wrong. It was a long time ago. But I think one of the first things that I remember having was getting those Identity Crisis scripts. And that was as like Dan DiDio was coming in and kind of putting his editorial stamp on at DC. And one of his big initial projects was Identity Crisis, which was Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales. And so that was really when I got to know Brad as a person, because he was coming in as this novelist doing his first big comic book work. And we became friendly. And I'm lucky that that's, uh, that's a friendship that has lasted to this day. Like people, like Jimmy Palmiotti, like people that I got to interact with at Wizard and at Newsarama and at DC. You know, Scott Snyder came in later, but, you know, guys like Greg Rucka, Darwin Cook, Yel Simone, like talent that when I moved from Wizard back and then I went back to Miami, but then came to DC, like there were a lot of relationships that overlapped, which was huge. And, and people that I can call friends, like, you know, Jeff Johns and, and Brad Meltzer and people like that, that, you know, I got to see them from different perspectives as a journalist and then as a publicist and then to some degree as an editor. And, and friend and a colleague. So it's, it's amazing.
0: Now, you know, we've been hearing a lot about the shenanigans in the office. <laughs> Okay. So the, the question comes to you. Who was the biggest practical joker in the office? And did you find yourself participating in any office pranks?
1: I'm not a prankster by nature. Like, I do have a sense of humor, but I'm not the kind of guy that'll play a prank beyond beyond like a joke and, you know, kind of fool people into thinking something is true. But I, you know, and that's usually with like good friends and just a gag, but it was never like something like a practical jokester. People like Cotton and Pat, Pat McCallum was really into stuff like that. But, not, you know, it was never cruel. It was always in good fun and and a gag and you know and it was just a way to survive you know we're all like in our 20s or early 30s and trying to get by on these like very you know comic book salaries like most of us were coming from different places jesse thompson came from tennessee i came from miami chris ward came from illinois and so we're all coming in from different places and and we've come together at wizard and this love of comics and this passion for the narrative and this love of wizard like a lot of us were wizard fans not just comic book fans but fans of wizard and and the stuff that wizard did so yeah there was there was definitely a camaraderie and shenanigans and fun but I, I never took it it was never cruel and it was never really like bad you know it was always in good fun and it was you know I think it was always a pretty welcoming workspace in terms of like just allowing people to do their thing. You know, I w- I'm not a big, like I said, I'm not a big prankster. I was in love with comics in terms of storytelling and as a medium and less so in like the sticky aspects of it like, oh, remember that really dopey thing that happened in comics. I loved it in terms of personalities and friends that I made. And, and it's really a testament to that time there that it, like I said, that I could still call a lot of these people friends like Ryan and Jesse and Chris Ward and Ricky are people, you know, they came to my wedding. You know, they were just, and I've worked with them in different ways, you know, like Ricky worked at DC and Chris is a friend of mine and Ryan, I, you know, Ryan, I was roommates with Ryan, um, for a long time, and you know, at Wizard, you know, Ricky as an intern stayed in the house with with, with me and Mike Cotton and James Walker. Like people, you know, and the intern, we had a lot of great parties at that house, and it was a very there was a lot of camaraderie and friendship. So yeah, I, I remember that pretty fondly.
0: Yeah, so you, you talk about all these friends you made there. That's awesome, but but we gotta know about your relationship with the big cheese before, during, and after Wizard. So you tell us, Alex Garof Sheamus, cool or fool?
1: Uh, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to call anyone a fool. You know, Gary was like ever pre- ever present. You know, he owned the magazine, he owned the company, and look, I you know there was editorial and the content and the writers, and we were kind of the downstairs, like you know people like Steve Blackwell, the design department, Arlene So and Kristen Sora and Darren Cruz and the, uh, you know, Dan Riley and Jody Westoff in research. And so everyone producing the content of the magazine was downstairs. And then there was, you know, it was my first inkling that there was like an upper management, you know, like people like Brian and Pat and Joe and Mel Kylo, who's also a good friend and Matt Senreich would would go upstairs once a week or once a month and have this kind of executive meetings with the business side, with the conventions and the numbers people, you know, like, you know, people that I, you know, still kept in touch, you know, interacted with in other worlds of comics, you know, like Fred Pierce, Martha Donato, and, you know, Stuart Morales and just different people, you know, the Seamus brothers. And, um, so Garib was ever present, you know, I can't say he ever knew me by name while I was there. I, I was probably one of the nameless, like editorial bodies that he walked by and said, Hey, how's it going? Great. Great. You know, it was not like we didn't have a friendship or relationship beyond the fact that he signed my check, but yeah, I mean he was there. He was present and it was, you know, it was something he started with Pat and his brother and you know, at his comic shop in Nyack and um it is kind of an amazing success story so that it became this big thing that has continued to be rebooted and tweaked and and evolved beyond him. You know, it's not like I don't think he's involved in the business part of it now or or part of the company, but it continued to some degree
0: here's a, another question for you that I know that conventions obviously became a big part of the business. So how evolved were you in the convention side of things?
1: I mean, I was one of the warm bodies that were, you know, taken to many of the shows to work the booth and, and set up the booth and do things like that and be involved in the wizard awards and, and that kind of thing. So I thought it was cool. I mean, my first trip to California was going to that first Wizard World, quote unquote, LA that happened in Long Beach and Wizard World Chicago that happened in Rosemont. So it was for a time, Wizard was really a powerhouse beyond like San Diego Comic Con. And before there was a New York Comic Con Wizard had shows all over the place. So we did Wizard World Philly, Wizard World Long Beach, uh, Wizard World Chicago was probably the closest a show came before New York Comic Con to really like compete with San Diego Comic Con. But just like creating this series of shows that happened throughout the country and beyond, and my involvement was very like perfunctory. You know, I was there and I helped set up and do things like that. And you know, you got to meet your cr- favorite creators like after hours, like and at the show as they visited the Wizard booth or just walking the convention floor. It was pretty cool, and it was very much a doorway into what would become my career. You know, working in comics and working at conventions and things like that.
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit about the the Wizard Awards at that point in time. How many creators actually showed up to accept their awards because we we've heard how many wizard staffers ended up taking some and keeping them under their beds (laughs) unclaimed awards
1: yeah i have one i I think i still have one somewhere in storage i definitely (laughs) had one when i got back to miami i happened to have one just like an extra award like one of the blank awards but I, i think it was a play to compete with things like the eisners and things like that that were so symbolic and part of like other bigger conventions but you know i i can't i For the life of me, I can't remember being at a Wizard Award event. I think I helped with the setup or the backstage. So so even
0: you, as a Wizard staffer, were not attending the Wizard Awards.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't think it was a diss on my part. It was just very much like not something that I rated, you know, like it was something where the kind of upper editorial people would go to. And I was like... Like I said, like edit, associate editor and editor of the stuff I edited um, was pretty much low on the totem pole. But I got to edit some cool stuff like the Spider-Man special. I got to interview people like Sarah Michelle Geller and celebrities of that degree. And like a lot of creators, like I got to interview Chris Claremont, which is a, a dream. But yeah, I, I didn't really rate when it came to uh, to managing or being part of the Wizard Awards <laughs> for whatever they were.
0: So now here's the question I have for you. I'm just going to turn the tables. What question am I not asking about your time at Wizard that I should be asking? Or, you know, what is it that you would bring up if somebody just said, oh, Wizard, what was that like?
1: Yeah, I think people really forget, like, just how much way wizard had and i think one of the eye-opening moments for me as a new person coming in with like i mentioned i think joe and i bonded over having this very journalistic sense but you know wizard had a ton of influence and there was a sense that you know wizard was a sort of journalistic entity but it really wasn't it was much more about like entertainment and uh giving people a peek into what comics were and the industry so i remember having like this really eye-opening moment akin to the Zorn Magneto moment where I said, you know, why are we covering this book? And I think it was Brian that said, Hey, they're, they're advertising, you know, they're buying advertising. So we have to, to some degree, cover this book, whether it come from company X or things like that. And I think wizard was doing a lot of interesting things in that space. Like, you know, do people remember like black bull entertainment, like, you know, things like it, they had a pretty cool roster like of creators like Jimmy and Amanda and Mark Wade and, and things like that, like creators that, were fairly big names at the time and continue to be big names and things like there was so much jockeying to get a cover And I got to see a little bit of that mechanism at Wizard, but then I got to see it on the flip side when I worked at DC, where in my role as a publicist at DC, I would have to kind of kiss the ring at Wizard. We'd have to go, you know, I remember very clearly early on, like going to the Wizard offices again in a different capacity. And that was bizarre. Like, here I am, like I used to work at Wizard, and now I'm coming in as a DC suit, like a publicist with the DO and the publicity team and the marketing team to pitch them on. Infinite Crisis, and 52, and all these things. And, you know, that's how I kind of got to remain friends with not only the people I met while working there, but people that continue to work at Wizard. Guys like Ben Morse, who was my point of contact, he was like the DC staff writer at Wizard. And I had to, being the DC publicity person, I had to kind of liaison with him for coverage. And, you know, like Alejandro Arbona, who's a good friend of mine now, but we never overlapped at Wizard. We never were there at the same time. He literally took over and the gag was Oh, you know, there's, you know, we're we're replacing Alex with another Alejandro because Alejandro is my my name, you know, Alejandro <laughs> is long long form of my name. But um, you know, Alejandro and I always give us give each other crap because you know he, you know, he's a real Alejandro and I'm just, you know, I've I've forsaken the name <laughs> I'm just, just using Alex. But um, you know, Wizard was a huge influence in the industry because it was such a huge mechanism. They had all these shows. They had this hugely popular magazine that fans bought at comic shops. And I think one of the, the things that I talked to Joe Yannarella about and I talked to Brian Cunningham about was like, we've got to compete in this space. We've got to compete in this internet journalism space. Like having come from Newsarama and eventually going to DC, like where I had to interact with a lot of places like CBR and Newsarama and uh, comic, you know, other websites and Wizard, I think one of the huge missteps, whether it was by design or just it just happened, was that Everything went all in into these convention initiatives and into these magazine initiatives, but nobody thought, well, let's, let's create this website. You know, we've got all this content. We're getting all this exclusive content. Like, how can we slice it and put it into a website and compete with this, these people that are kind of nipping at our feet, like the Newsaramas and the CBRs and the uh, whatever else, is, like the, the, vari- the numerous like, other websites that are covering this medium. And I think Wizard, for whatever reason, didn't feel like it was urgent. And I knew Joe saw it and I knew Andy Serwin saw it and, you know, Cotton and those guys who were like very into what was happening in the industry. But Wizard had so much sway over what went on. Like you even if you were like a Dan DiDio or like a Joe Quesada or like a huge editorial person at Marvel or DC or Valiant or what have you. You had to kind of come and, you know, I said kiss the ring, but you had to also kind of come and just engage with wizard because you needed that coverage to sell your books like your big initiatives. If the Marvel and DC stuff wasn't covered in wizard, it probably wouldn't do as well. You know that in I think in many ways, wizard helped elevate stuff like identity crisis, like things that were, you know, of interest, like you have this huge bestselling New York Times bestselling novelist in Brad Meltzer come in and tackle these characters. But I don't think it would have resonated as much if wizard hadn't bought in and giving it the coverage that it got. So, yeah, I think people forget, in, in hindsight, you know, Wizard becomes this thing, like, you know, gets criticized for its worst traits, but in many ways it was a kingmaker.
0: Well, and that's, yeah, that is that is definitely a, a legacy that in many fans, you know, these days, newer fans, it's forgotten, it's lost. But at a certain point for you as well, you saw opportunity elsewhere. So what can you tell us about what led to your departure from Wizard going over to DC on the publicity side and eventually your, your current career?
1: It was something so basic as just being homesick. I think there was one point where I went back home to Miami for a vacation, and I was just like, wow, I really miss this. Like, you know, Wizard was my first gig outside of Miami. My first gig where I had to leave home, and I got homesick. And I went back, and I was like, wow, can I, you know, I just, you know, I could probably work at the Herald again, you know. My girlfriend at the time was in Miami, so it was like, what do I do? Like, it was That first winter in New York, as much as I made so many great friends and so many relationships, it was so jarring to me as someone who'd never really felt that isolation being away from home and being, but the weather itself is very like lonely, you know winter is a cold, cold season you know, it just felt like such a a different thing for me as as this Miami kid and you know, it was just time to go I I felt like I'd learned a lot at Wizard I'd made so many great relationships and I even ended up coming back whenever I came to New York after that, even before I got to DC, I, I would hang out with those guys like, you know, people that just stayed at Wizard much longer than I did, like Justin Acklin and jesse thompson and and ryan and chris and and all these guys brian cunningham and and i ended up intersecting with them in many different ways like brian and ricky worked at dc um Mike Cotton ended up working at D.C. Steve Blackwell was a friend of mine who I still, you know, as, as a writer, I, I, you know, I cut through Texas and I got to see him. So, you know, you, those relationships are ongoing. And so as I as I my time at Wizard ended, I went back to Miami. I, I went back to working at the Herald and I started reviewing graphic novels for the Miami Herald. And I got in touch with David Hyde, who's uh, the PR guy at D.C. And I, I applied for a job as a publicity person while I, while I was literally on vacation in New York and I interviewed and I got to interview with David and and uh, Paul Levitz and that g- the, just DC. And it became a career, like doing, you know, my marketing background, my writing background, my journalism background, all kind of, and my passion for comics all kind of blended together to become a publicity gig. And so I worked at DC for a long time. And at the same time, while working at DC and watching people like Yale Simone and Brad Meltzer, Greg Rucka, like all these great talents, Jeff Johns, I got to see what it was like. And I got to see what it was like you know, being a creative person in comics while promoting their work, Jimmy Palmiotti, people like that. And then at the same time, I was writing my own novels, my own mystery novels. And that's kind of kind of, Kind of how I connect, continued to connect with Brad, like people like Brad Meltzer and Greg Rucka, who were huge inspirations, continue to be huge inspirations. As as I want to say, as an adult, but I wasn't a kid. Like as a as a you know as a more experienced writer, and so that writing career took off, and it became much more than just writing novels. It became writing comics, and then as I moved on past DC to Archie, uh, it became really like a two prong thing. Like I was doing this comic book stuff as an executive and as a writer, as well. So I got to write comics, I got to work in comics and it was really just an amazing and it all kind of kicked off at Wizard. So it was really,
0: really cool. Yeah. Before we close out here, just real quick, the perspective from being on the DC side, what was the actual opinion of Wizard? Were they excited to be collaborating? Or like you said, did did it feel like at this point, these guys, they got the influence. We don't have a choice here. Like we, we got to go with them.
1: Yeah, I, I think it, I, I wouldn't say it was like we had no choice. I think at DC, like, you you had to pitch it like you pitched the press you had to go in and kind of say this is what we're working on and it was much more it was different than say pitching like a newsorama or another place that covered comics because there was a financial stake like you your advertising and wizard your your pay your your talent are going to these shows so there was much more of a back and forth as opposed to with another website or a media outlet you'd say hey this is what I'm working on would you want to promote it or would you want to write about it and yes or no qualitatively whereas with wizard it was much more a financial back and forth where you're literally paying money to advertise in this magazine or you're paying money to get promoted at these shows and your talent is so embedded in this industry so i think wizard knew who their audience was and so if something that you were pitching as your big top like comic book priority didn't jive with what wizard thought was going to resonate with their readers then you maybe didn't get the coverage you wanted. And so something like 52, which involved like very smaller characters and wasn't necessarily like a big, on, on the surface, was not necessarily like a big ticket, like earth-shattering crossover. It had much more nuance, maybe didn't resonate with, you know, with Wizard and what they thought would really click with the reader. So it was a different dynamic. And, I, I don't, you know, I think I think DC at the time, saw a wizard or something like you had to deal with. You know, you had to kind of thread that needle. So I wouldn't say it was good or bad. It was just a different kind of dynamic.
0: It's just how it worked. Okay. So now what can you tell us about your new project you have going on right now, the Dusk? Where can people interact with you and get involved in that?
1: Yeah, so The Dusk, you know, I've written a lot of different comic books, like The Black Ghost and The Archies and, and crime novels. And so The Dusk is very much a blending of those things, like taking that idea of this passion for superheroes and comics and the worlds of that space and also blending it with crime fiction, like this idea that you can put a spotlight on, on the world as it is and what's going on in, in the world and, and approaching these superhero stories in a different way. And it really just kind of spun out of watching my own son, who's five, like become a a fan of comics and reading him these stories that I loved as a kid, and and seeing like, well, maybe you know, like punching a guy is not the way we solve problems. You know, you can still love superheroes, you can still love this narrative, but maybe telling the those stories in a different way. So the dusk is Jaime Nunez, who's a a, a public defender in this this city, this city called Blackstone, which is a love, and it's all a love letter to superheroes. Like Blackstone is a love letter to those fictional cities. The Dusk is a love letter to these crime fighters that we all love as readers, like Batman and Daredevil and Spider-Man, but kind of approaching those stories in a different way. Like how can somebody actually do good? Like how can somebody put on a costume and do good beyond just the, the violence of it, beyond just like punching a guy, throwing him in prison and saying, you know, kind of wiping your hands and saying problem solved. So that's the exploration, but also doing it in a way that's not grim gritty bloody violent like in a way that kids can react to it but also we can you and i i'm assuming we're kind of similar in age but as readers and fans of comics you know so that's it it's on kickstarter now and hopefully if people can support it and give it some love um i would be greatly appreciative
0: yeah very interesting concept there nice
1: you know it's co-written by myself and elizabeth little who's also a crime novelist but you know david Hahn is the artist and joe illage is the editor and joe's like a veteran comic guy but david's got this very fantastic clean uh, batman animated series type style that i think will resonate with people
0: yeah i mean the art has looked great uh whether you've been sharing on social media so definitely encourage people to uh, connect with you so where where can they find you online if they want to get more information on that
1: you can find pretty much everything about me on alexagra.com which is my website you can find my comics graphic novels and crime novels and podcasts and things like that i'm also fairly active on twitter at alex underscore segura instagram alex segura jr and facebook as well so
0: that's it awesome well uh one last question here as we go we have to ask all right betty or veronica mary jane or gwen stacy Thelma or louise
1: I was always, you know, I, Gwen Stacy was always kind of this ethereal ghost type character when I first started reading comics. And so I was always Team Mary Jane. I gotta say. Yeah, and Betty and Veronica it's always been a, a, a pair and like a, a different part of that love triangle. So I can't really say one is better than the other.
0: That's right. I, I figured you, you, you can't <laughs> weigh in exactly on that definitively yeah, I at this point.
1: Go the company line there, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us. This was a ton of fun and best to you with all the projects you're working on.
1: Oh, thanks so much. This was a blast and really fun to kind of walk down memory lane.
0: Well, thank you again, Alex, for joining us here on The Wizard Files. We surely enjoyed getting your perspective from both sides. And for those of you out there, we're talking to you, yeah. Yeah, you, the other guy who used to work at Wizard. We want to hear your stories, so be sure to reach out to us on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, or send us an email. Let us know you're available, WizardsComicsPod at gmail.com. And for those of you who are just finding us through the Wizard Files, don't forget every Wednesday we have Wizards, the podcast guide to comics. Yes, where we cover a full issue of Wizard Magazine in chronological order get into all the details and then the following wednesday we have our wizard's half series where we cover the rest of the stuff we just didn't have time to get to wizard gave us so much to enjoy on a monthly basis plus we cover all the bonus issues the special editions the tributes it's all in there we get into the full gamut of what wizard had to offer so until next time we're closing the files